Alright, welcome, welcome everybody to Sacred Elohim, Dun and Light and Pearl Ministries. This is your local Red Lion Minister, Kim, or Micaiah, or Mickey. I welcome you. Uh, I welcome the United States, the states of Ohio, Washington, California, Virginia, Texas, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Oregon, Georgia, Illinois, Florida. Welcome to pastors so far. New Jersey, Missouri, New York, Michigan, Mississippi, Alabama, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, Wisconsin, India, Kentucky. Hello, Kentucky pastors. Rhode Island, Rhode Island, Arizona, Massachusetts, Tennessee. I welcome Tennessee, my dad's home state. Idaho, Oklahoma, District of Columbia, Minnesota, Kansas. Welcome pastors from Kansas City. Connecticut, Iowa, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Louisiana, Vermont, and Utah, the Salt Lakes. Welcome, 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 pastors. Then I welcome pastors from Ireland, Russia, Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, New Zealand, Germany, France, India, Cyprus, Ghana, Italy, Faroe, Norway, Sweden, Thailand, Brazil, Tanzania, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, welcome pastors from there. Cuba, Singapore, Puerto Rico, Republic of Lithuania for the first time. South Africa, and for the first time, El Salvador, welcome. I do that every now and then. I welcome all my pastors from around the world and the United States. Welcome to another reading of Esther, the anointing. And I don't care if you're a woman or a man, it's just as important that we read this. Um, then our next book will be Face-to-Face -face Appearances by David E. Taylor. Um, I'll read the first few pages of chapter one. Um, I'm not really doing any verses until we get into our Sabbath series, which I've pushed it back. I was going to do it on Prusak. I took Prusak off to spend it with my family, friends, and my church members. So chapter five is the rule and reign with the scepter of Prayer and fasting. Now, before we go into this, I encourage you immensely. I have a few books uh, which we will be touching on fasting later after this book is over with because we will be completing our Esther series. These go along with the Esther series. Write down the names. You have a fasting, which is a study guide that you can do. There's also a a journal that goes with Wendy's 40-day social media fast, which is a good book, but written by written by Wendy Speaks. Then you got a Craig Grossman, which was a New York Times bestseller, Dangerous Prayers. That's another good one. I have did segments on the Dangerous Prayer book, uh, which is enlightening. Um, he teaches you the strategies to pray how to pray. I'll have an outline for that. We're just going to go over an overview of fasting and prayer. And then I'm going to do a whole segment on a 40-day social fast, social media fast. I will stay away myself other than getting online here to talk to you guys. I'll stay away from Facebook. I'm going to stay away from all social media other than my podcast that I do that week. And it'll be one whole week. We'll go through 40 days of me going through that fast it's going to be quite uh surreal because i use social media a lot 
and I want to use that 40 days to get closer to my father and and um, worshiping him in that 40 days so we'll see what happens during that 40 days after this Esther run and then we will also be talking same time doing that I'm going to incorporate with that a book written by um, Priscilla Shear which is Breathe, which we'll, I'm just going to read it word instead of doing the outline lesson, I've pretty well got an outline. We're just going to touch on the basic outlines and the verses, what it talks about doing the Shabbat or Sabbath breathing, in, in other words, resting in the Father's graces. Um, and we will go through that. And then on my other channel... I will pick up doing the prophetic community and some other things that we will be doing through it. So, and I'll give you more information on that if you're interested later. But right now we are going to complete the Esther series and we'll be rounding it off. Um, so let's go into Esther 4, 16 and 17. And she tells him, go, gather all the Jewish people who represent Sushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days and nights or days again. My maidens and I will fast likewise. So I will go out, go to the king with it, it, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And that's in Matthew seventeen twenty one. So, we're seeing here that Esther finally, through it all, demonstrates maturity. She's grown. She's become the woman she's meant to be. And she's reached that stage that is most important, which is realization, as most adult women reach. And she declares the wisdom through fasting. What is fasting? We know what prayer is. We just fall on our knees and pray. Some people only pray a one or two minutes. And others will pray for hours on end. We know what prayer is. But what is fasting exactly? Well, I touched some of it, what fasting is. You have three different types of fast. You have a three-day fast where you eat or drink nothing. This is what Esther's doing here. Then you have a 40-day fast, which you drink water, but you don't eat anything. That's what Yeshua did. And then you had Daniel ate a 21-day vegetable fast and fruit fast. Nothing more, nothing less. No meats, no sweets, no nothing. And then you have other types of fasting called social media fasting or this kind of fasting or that kind of fasting. It's not really fasting, it's just staying away, but it's still a type of fast, in a way, I guess. It's just not how we see it. But what we're talking about here is a fast of no food and, and no water for three days. So, we go on here. She did not operate in presumptiveness. She knew the situation was beyond her control 
and it was breaking in the spirit of the strategy of the, for the high and bringing the deliverance of the people was needed. Esther commanded a fast for all those within her sphere of influence. She knew the power of unity. Remember, I talked time and time again about unity. And not just as individuals with the Father, but as a congregation of the body. She knew the same thing we know. She knows that power, the power to quit and submit to the Spirit would overwhelm the enemy. She knew that God would give her grace to extend for her humility. So she called for fast of three days, implying of a fast with, with prayer. The fast. What is a fast all about? In the Jewish terms, they did not stop eating to lose weight, like some say it is. They fasted for spiritual reasons. In this case, there was a dire need because a Jewish people and her father figure was being put into a sort of state of danger, basically, death, um, because of Haman. Um, it goes on, she was concerned with what was going on, and that's why she ordered no consumption of food and proactive period of prayer and quiet fasting. This was a discipline that was quite used with my people. Uh, it was one of spiritual discipline that God had established to achieve breakthrough in our lives and in, in, in their lives at that time, of course. Um, and it was a great thing to do that the Lord did also. We see this in Isaiah 58, 6. It is not that the fast that we have chosen to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressor oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. So fasting is used to switch things on and switch things off, you might say. Other scriptures, fasting for strength and spirit is in Luke 4. 14 and 18, fasting to release the power in intercessory prayer. Um, fasting releases direction of decision. We see that in Judges 20, 6 through 28. Fasting softens the heart and readies it for repentance. Fasting breaks pride and brings humility. That's in Psalms 35, 13. Fasting releases strategies and breakthroughs in a crisis. Ezra 8:21 and 31. Fasting releases revelation from God. Isaiah 58:11. And fasting releases the manifest wisdom of God. So we see that. And in many cases, there's different prayers for different fasting. Uh, there's one. You can look this up. I'm not going to read it. In Proverbs 8, 1 through 15. It talks about crying out to wisdom and fasting and the rule of judgment and decrees. Um, we go on here that fasting also leads into prudence and instruction or the teaching of discipline from God. Uh, it gives you understanding to convey the emotions of the time, knowledge of the information, righteousness to be bold, Circum, cir circumspection, or consideration of things and determination, the excellence of superiority of things, truth is revealed, 
discernment is revealed. The fear of the Lord is shown and justice prevails. Um, in Isaiah 9-7, we see, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we're seeing that fasting influences um, God in many ways. We see this again in Isaiah 9-7. God's speaking of the word of God goes on to say in Luke, here it is right here, um, justice is made by the right of Jesus, the ultimate thing, the night and a prayer. Shall God not avenge and bring forth justice, his own elect who cry out day and night to him through his bearers of long wisdom? I tell you that he will avenge, bring about justice speedily. And that is Luke 18, 7 and 8. She goes on describing other times that they, with intercessory prayer, um, intercessoring for wisdom, teaching of revelation of intercessory was said, intercessory in God's brilliant strategy for including the saints in the rule of his power, yet has such great impact on us as it draws the intimacy of God in protecting the protect his humility and transforms holiness, anointing and power and, and his wisdom. Um, and Luke 6.38 also talks about giving wisdom. Um, fasting and prayer moves us into new realms of authority. Where the word of the king is, there is a power. And who may say he to him, where are you, what are you doing? Ecclesiastes 8.4. She talks about how intercessoring, fasting, and prayer moves the authority of God in many directions. And women have this power at their disposal. It's talked about in Matthew 16, 19, 18, 18, Job 2, 28. 1 Corinthians 9, 2. It's talked about how the Holy Spirit interacts. <clears throat> Fasting and prayer ushers us into the counsel of the Lord. And that's in Jeremiah 23, 18-22. And it talks about how it enters us into the counsel of the Lord to proceed with evil. And how to defeat it through prophecy. Again, women of God are able to be revealed in these areas if God reveals it. And so be it. Um, she talks about Esther clearing her accuracy and the territory and eventually winning through intercessory prayer because this is what she was doing. Prayer and fasting hindrances to Esther's anointing or hot hindrances. It, it is this not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressor oppress go free. This is again Isaiah 5 6 and she elaborates on Isaiah 5 6. So I'm going to take a break here and we will pick up on Isaiah 5, 6 again. All right. So we're back to the discussion. We're talking about the hindrances um, that it does. Let's see here. It frees the oppressor and breaks every yoke in our lives. 
um, fasting will also purify and transform our minds and our thinking. Fasting breaks the influence of culture and aligns us with the kingdom. Uh, she goes on to talk about it lines the whole holy and righteousness to save us, our families, and our nation in the end when we fast. Um, this, these are characteristics. Fasting is one of the characteristics of the Esther anointing. Um, they will be empowered to make decisions on their without emotion. Uh, without reacting to emotion, they believe in others and themselves, and believe in in God's role. Um, they can, through the grace of thinking, discerning of spirits, and strategy planning, they can deliver a nation in miraculous ways. Um, one obstacle to that success and situation is the experience of love and how much willingness they want to put out during that process. Fasting will break mental and spiritual strongholds that control us and set us free in our life. Um, and Isaiah gives a prayer. Um, and she has a prayer after Isaiah. And we'll read it here. It says, Dear, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your Righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your re rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord shall answer, and the Lord shall guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought and strength and moan. And then the prayer, God, your word promises to break in with power those who embrace God's chosen fast. In Isaiah 58, 6-12. Father, I pray that you will demonstrate your power and justice for women worldwide. Let the light of your power break forth like the morning. Let healing and deliverance be ignited to bring an end to the oppression of women and girls. Lord, righteousness and justice are the foundation of our throne. Let the righteousness be extended to women. Lord, rise up and deliver delivers who will execute justice that will help Reveal women from the bond, relieve women, women from the bondage that results from oppressive laws and social barriers that have been created over decades and centuries. Lord, let the modern day Esther be set in the governmental positions that will give women a voice in the decision making process. Let women all over the world be empowered to break the bonds of wickedness and heavy burden. Let every yoke be destroyed. Lord, give them creative ideas on how to help the oppressed. I will dream big and think outside the box. I believe change is possible. And I, will, I want to be a part of the solution. Lord, give me creative ways to raise awareness of women's issues. Interesting. And she goes on and elaborates the summary of Micah. We are called to be workers of justice and love of mercy with the spirit of humility, Micah 6, 8. So we are workers for the widows, the orphans, and the homeless. We are to support them in every way, protect them. And then she has a prayer for prevention of abolishing sex trafficking, which is easy. Uh, for more prayers targeted at women's justice, girls' education, women's health, economic power, and domestic violence. So let's go on. She says, this is a free of the captives in Luke 4, 18. Sex trafficking thrives when behind shadows. It becomes well-kept secret 
and out of the sight and out of the mind of the tragedy of the victims who are unable to speak for themselves. Lord, I pray for the end of human trafficking in all parts of the world. Lord, I pray that the light of your glory will expose everything done in the darkness. Let the issues of sex trafficking be brought to the forefront of our nation. Rise up voices from voiceless victims. Let the public become aware about the issues. I pray for the righteous organizations who seek to bring an end to this social tragedy, tragedy that they will have all the reasons, resources to create social awareness and give away the, the Eredric sex trafficking around the world. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. So we see here that your Esther's anointing that involves fasting has many facets and many callings. Um, and that was just an overview. Um, I will do a call to fasting at some point, and it's going to be based on what we're learning here after this is over with. I call women right now that are listening to me. We are in a dire situation, what we've got in the White House. It is time as women, and I don't care if you're black or colored, pardon my language. I don't care if you're Caucasian or white, Hebrew and believing, or Jewish, Native American and believing. If you hear my words, you hear them. We are in unity right now on my podcast. This podcast does not show denominational. I don't believe in denominations. I think that's a destruction of all religion. Pardon my lingo, but that's just me. Yes, I am a Masonic rabbi. Yes, I am a Masonic Jew. But I don't hold to man's interpretation of everything. I follow the Father's interpretation thereof. I am calling to order... I don't care if you're a man or woman. Our nation right now is standing at a tipping point. It's a tipping point that could go over the edge. I always see my podcast through the first year. That's what I talked about. We've got a man right now in the White House that wants to destroy the Constitution. The founding principles of that Constitution gives us the right to bear arms. It gives us a right of free speech. It gives us a right to worship the way we want to worship. Praise how we want to praise. Do how we want to do. But yet we got people like Cuomo when Trump was in office. And others that were Democrats like Whitmore, Lightfoot, that are fools. And I'm going to make it quickly clear. This is not my words. Papa said this. Um, that they were fools. They were fools that he's going to deal with in his own timing. But right now, we got a man in the White House that is sick. He declares himself to be a president of religious means, but yet he signed a bill into office that eradicates life around the world when it deals with children. He has no remorse for children, especially babies. Right now, the U.S. alone has killed millions, if not billions, of children. 
There's been billions killed around the world. Besides being mutilated, besides being blown up, besides being massacred in numbers, put in sex trafficking, these things are gruesome, to say the least. I'm calling American pastors. I don't care if you're a woman or a man, white or black. I'm calling our messianic rabbis right now, like me. If you believe in Yeshua and what he stood for and a pure heart and mind, he tells us we will not murder. What is the president we got right now in office doing? He signed a bill, an executive order for global mass extermination of children. He supports a baby outside the womb being murdered after it's disconnected from its mother's umbilical cord, being tied to the mother to kill it. He's wanting to confiscate our way of protecting ourselves. They want to put us, and there has been threats many times, put us in re-education camps. Think back to what I have talked about time and time again. I'm not spreading hate. I'm teaching history. 6.5 million Jews alone, not including Christians, not including gypsies, not including any religion for that matter, black, white, during Hitler's era, went to concentration camps. Imagine a woman sitting on a table, splayed out, pregnant, her baby removed from her, the baby experimented on in front of her, and then her bleeding to death and the child dying. There was nearly a million women done that way in concentration camps, besides being starved, gassed, shot in the head, and other means that they'd done them to. Those that survived, that made it through, like my husband's mother, had severe health problems. Their children had severe health problems. I live with the walking history. My husband, being Hebrew, Jewish, as I, was a first-generation Jew. I'm not a first-generation Jew. My family was already here in the Americas at the time of its founding. I'm married to a first-generation Jew. Just outside his husband, he just lost a son that was a second-generation Jew. It's sad to think that we got a man in the White House that cares no more for America being America than putting us in a camp to try to re-educate us on our whiteness. Why do I need education? I've had... 30-some years of being in school, being educated on rights, the civil rights movement. Wasn't it not said by Martin Luther that he had a dream to see little white boys and girls and little black boys and girls and every other race being brought together in schools so they could play in peace? He did not talk about Hatred. 
he talked about peace. He was a man of peace, but yet it was people like Biden, and I'm giving the educational history, that put him on the FBI charts as being watched because he was a man that was outspoken for his time. How do you think he was killed? It wasn't happenstance. Yes, I've read the, the history books that his daughter and his niece wrote. Martin Luther King was monitored by the FBI for his views. He was a man that did not agree with war. He was a man of peace. They took it and switched it around and used it to their benefit to get what they want. In history, I'm going to give you another education. In history, the Democrats were not only KKK, they were Nazi. They did Nazi. What do you think your Democratic Socialist Party is? Socialism is Nazism. Socialism is communism. This is what we got in the White House right now. And don't let him fool you. Biden was involved in that as much as Obama and others. It's all the same plot. It's to put believers behind bars. I am not going to stand here and give my life over to some fool that thinks he controls it. He doesn't. And he's a fool. I speak it lightly. I speak it with the Esther anointing. They are now going after a man because of his views. They want to persecute him to get back at the American people. I think it's time as American people we rise. I'm not saying violently. Pardon me. We rise. And we do the peaceful protesting that was meant to do for our rights and our privileges, for what we have earned as American people. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Hispanic. We are all bleed the same. We bleed whoop, red blood. Black, don't get me wrong. All lives matter, not just black lives matter. But yet, they have taken the black people and they do this quote, Black Lives Matter, and they're enforcing it with hate. I speak with a tongue of love, but with a tongue of boldness. No more one culture over another. There's not one person more important than another. We're all equal in the sight of God. And we have to answer for our crimes. He judges every heart right now. Good or bad. Right or wrong. Righteous or unrighteous. We have to face our maker. Don't say that because you were saved, you're not going to get any less judgment than the person over here that's unsaved that is going to get judgment. We all get the black stone or white stone. We're being judged right now by the Father for what we are doing. And it's all based 
on the Torah written on our hearts and minds in unity. I talk with this with a stern warning because if we don't go back to where we were at, at the founding of this country, we're doomed to repeat history like Israel did 6,000 years ago, my people. I don't want to live in a land that's going to fall. I want it to be blessed. But what we got in the White House right now is not bringing blessing, it's bringing cursing. And I don't want to see it. I see hope. In this pandemic, there was hope. And there's still hope. The Father could change things around and come and take us home. He could come anytime. But I tell you now, the clock is ticking and ever getting closer to midnight. When it strikes midnight, we're gone. There is no hope for this world. The restrainer that holds it will be lifted. Do you know what the restrainer is? No, we don't. I do, but most people don't. And in these podcasts, you're going to learn the truth, the Father's truth about things. So I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'll be right back. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. So we did our two chapters today. We discussed uh, Esther's anointing and prayer and fasting. And then we did chapter four, which was Awaken to Your Destiny. So the next one is Breaking Free from the Orphan Spirit. Now, this and I'm just going to short form it. Basically, it's t this is a copy of the, the, the remaining of the book. Uh, it's talking about how she broke her orphan spirit on her because of the decree to destroy Mordecai and her and Susan, Susan, or Susan. Um, and uh, Esther told Mordecai in so many words what she was going to do. Uh, the hatch hatchet. And give him a message to Mordecai saying the king's servant and the people of the king's provinces know, know that any people, be it man or woman, shall go to the inner court kingdom without without it being death being declared. Basically, he, he, she was saying that she could die by seeing the king. Mordecai told her what was happening. Um... This was the or breaking through the orphan spirit, and they give a reading. Um, and it is chapter 4, 8 through 16, will perish, and who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this occasion, very occasion. Esther told them to give the answer to Mordecai, go gather all the, all the Jews that are presented at Shushan, fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it may be against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The disastrous situation ended up being amazing as a great feast of strength. Uh, Roosevelt stated, a woman like a woman 
it's like a tea bag. You don't know how long strong she is until you put her under hot water. In other words, threats and tendencies to hide. Uh, we forced to tap into these hidden gifts of wisdom and ingeniosity. It is through the storms of life that the character flaws are uncovered and refined. Uh, the true identities are revealed and transformed into heroic, influential women God created us to be. Um, she goes on to say he moves everything to fulfill his life and purpose in us. Uh, I would like to use this chapter to uncover the belief of the great hidden hindrance of the Esther anointing, and it's the great curse on all the earth, the orphan spirit. Uh, Esther's reluctance, and then suddenly compels her cousin Mordecai to demand an approach to the unannounced, to the threat of death. Uh... Esther, being raised by her cousin, in Esther 2.7, states that Esther was neither had a not father nor mother. And in other words, she was an orphan. An orphan is a person who has been deprived by death of one or both parents. Someone who is fatherless has no identity as a son or daughter. Esther had a true identity crisis. She had been raised as a Jew, but was forced to live as a Persian. The name Esther itself is, ended, is an indication as to how she led her life and fulfilled her role. The root of Esther in Hebrew is Hester, meaning hidden. Some scholars believe Esther's name means hidden, reflecting her hidden identity. She had to hide her true identity, but I believe she was also hiding her inner struggles with the orphan spirit. Um, it goes on talking about the indifferences and insecurities she had of the orphan spirit. And we have it also, regardless of the consequences we have. But God eventually brings out brings us out in a time of trouble and great obstacle with self-preservation and roots of the orphan spirit. Um, many young women can be posted in certain situations um, then he get, she gives the characteristics of an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit enters the planet for a fall of Adam and Eve. God was the center of man's world, and he provided for man and protected everything that he created. The major result of the fall is that man became the center of his world. He orphaned himself and became annihilated from God. Um, this is a universally known among humans. The spirit of orphan, spiritual orphan, is one who feels alone, who feel, one who feels that she does not have a safe and secure place in the Father's heart where she can affirm, protect, provide, and exercise his love. She does not feel she belongs. She is full of fear, anxiety, and insecurities. Spiritual orphans have an independent spirit that often causes them to hide or deny pain. The orphan spirit is always concerned with provision and protection. The worry causes them to operate in their own abilities apart from the father. The orphan spirit moves out of self-sufficiency, creating fig leaves to protect oneself from being seen by the creator. Going back to the story of Adam and Eve, 
we see the same action as one of shame and an attempt to cover or hide one's wrongdoings and weaknesses. And this was in Genesis 3-7. A person who operates out of the orphan spirit consistently harbors feelings of abandonment, loneliness, annihilation, and isolation. Esther was isolated and annihilated from her family and forced to live in a pagan world. Her peace and security was taken. She was forced by complying in order to sur survive. Those who operate out of the orphan heart never want to rebel against those in authority, for those may jeopardize their security. The orphan spirit operates out of insecurities of fear. The orphan spirit causes you to perform ordination. Esther won favor with the king. When you turn, when your turn comes for Esther, the young woman, the young woman, Mordecai, had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abahel, goes to the king. Goes on to talking about. Um, she won favor and gracious and all this. And then the orphan spirit causes you to always be in the inner competition with others. The orphan spirit lacks self-esteem and identity. The orphan spirit is self-reliant. Uh, does not like being controlled. An orphan spirit is self-protecting. And they're unsecure about their position in life. The orphan spirit is deeply rooted in self-preservation Self-preservation occurs to protect the, the orphan spirit. Deliverance from the orphan spirit. Um, in the end, she became transformed for, through fasting and prayer. Esther abruptly changes behavior from a deep desperation to action. During her time of fast, Esther connected with her inner self and understood why she had been made queen. She understood why she had to suffer through her relationships of, ir of the irritable king she found confidence to facing and in the end a woman wins the day becomes a daddy's girl in the end with God and Abba the father to love him and sustain so now we go into the prayer that breaks the orphan spirit it goes like this Lord, I thank you that you love me. I receive your love. Let the power of your blood cleanse me from an orphan spirit. Baptize my heart with the fire of your love. Let the fire of your love burn away the re rejection and fear. Let the fire of your love purge away the dross of the spirit, orphan spirit. Your love is like a vermilion flame, and many waters can't quench your love for me. The flame of your love of me are eternal and may flood many floods will never be able to drown it out your word says that you will not leave us as orphans but you will come to us holy spirit or the ruach hodesh come and pour the love of god in our hearts ruach hodesh teach me how to receive the love of the father come empower me with the truth of your love loose me lose myself from the survival mentality i don't want to just survive i want to enjoy the abundance of life you have for me i'm tired of making fig leaves for myself i am tired of living in fear and shame i will no longer hide from your presence i humble myself lord your words say that unless a kernel of wheat fall 
to the ground and die. It will not bear fruit. I choose to die to self. I will not only concern with my best interest, but I will also use my authority to benefit the well-being of others. I will shake myself free from the passive passivity and indifference. I am the daughter of the king. I am not an orphan. I don't have to perform to receive your love. I receive the spirit of adoption, and I cry, Abba, Father, I loosen myself from all insecurities and fear. I loosen myself from self-preservation. Forgive me for being obsessed with trying to keep things I've obtained through striving and competing. No longer will I compete to survive. I have favor with you. I trust your love to protect me. I find my security in you. You are my Heavenly Father. You provide for me. I choose to obey your word. I will no longer try to save my life, but lose, lose it in the arms of your love. Amen. In the name of Jesus. So, we now have completed chapter 6. So, next week we will be talking about walking in boldness and courage. And then chapter 8, rewriting the decree. And then chapter 9. So, we've got one, two, one week. We've got about two weeks of this book left. So, we have done the Esther anointing for today. I'm not going to do any more reading until next week for the Esther anointing. I'm going to put that aside. And I'm going to call it a day. And this evening, we will be doing our Sabbath reading, which I will be doing the next segment. We will do a light reading on it, the beginning of it. And then we will call it a week on the Sabbath. And I'm going to do the face-to-face -face appearances from Yeshua, written by David E. Taylor. And we will call it a day. And I'm going to say Shabbat Shalom for now, and we will get the next book ready. Alrighty. Hello, hello, everybody. So we are going to do our Shabbat reading for Saturday, or Sabbath Setup. Is what it's called. We are reading the book from Priscilla Share Breathe, Making Room for Sabbath in Our Lives. Um, this kind of hits home. So we're, we're starting the freedom of Sabbath, which is week one. And we're going to read the first section for the first week. And we're going to just do this through. And it talks about setting up the Sabbath. Harriet Tubman was a great emancipator of thousands of slaves in America in quoting and saying I freed thousands of slaves I would have had freed thousands more if they had known they were slaves if only they knew whoa she says my eyes widened as she read the statement and realized the implication slavery is often the outcome of ignorance or denial freedom hinges on recognition the idea of recognition is a prerequisite for liberation. I want to confess right here, at the beginning of our study, I was a slave and didn't know it. I was bound by things I never even thought as possible taskmasters. They were good things God had given me 
full license to enjoy, yet they have begun to exert far too much control over my life. The very fact that my flesh cringes at the thought of curbing my desires to buy things or eat that or spend time doing that, this and not that should have been my first indicator that something was a wall. My flesh was becoming enslaved to things it was meant to enjoy as blessings, not bondage. But I ignored the warnings and carried on, tactically unaware I discovered, however, and am still discovering, after studying, reading, thinking, praying about the Shabbat, or Sabbath, that this one beautiful biblical principle delivers freedom from types of slavery I didn't even realize existed in my life in the past. I thought that Sabbath as nothing more than a day, a once a week, first century observance dipping dripping with too much rules and regulation to count, much less observe. I counted it. Revelance for me. Shabbat was an Old Testament, old-fashioned, old-school. Little, I did not know the pulling back the layers of the Bible's theme would shine a bright spotlight onto something always meant to be so much more than rigid rules to follow. Even when it was first established in Israel for the people who knew nothing but slavery, God always eternally intended the Shabbat to be a lifestyle, an attitude, a preservative, an orientation of life that enabled us to govern our lives and steer clear of bondage, especially the bondages we are least likely to recognize two things, stuff we buy, shoes, clothes, accessories, homes, decor, and electric, to people, the boyfriend, the best friend, the employer, hobbies, golfing, watching TV, reading, social media, indulgence, food, caffeine, chocolate, or work, our jobs, ministries, careers, and efforts. I could go on, but somehow I feel like you can probably fill in the blanks yourself. In fact, before we ever really get started, I would think you should. Okay. Each of these are good examples of them that are needful, but depends on our unique personality and interest. Any of them could begin to control us. If Mark kept in check and look at the list and consider how much of it's a danger. Together, you and I will go find out how the Shabbat or Sabbath principle can keep these things from bossing us around, controlling our lives, and becoming masters over us. Shabbat is a margin. It is a boundary God intended for us to place around the things we enjoy so that we never be enslaved to anyone or anything other than Him. He paid far too high a price for us to share our allegiance with others, He said. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's John 8. 32. Freedom from slavery begins to know, begins with knowing. So let's get to it, shall we? Okay, and week one, he rested. And we're not going to do the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a little in, probably about four or five pages in, and then we will stop. So let's start. The week's big idea, the Shabbat principle is the key to freedom. The word Sabbath first 
appeared in scriptures during the exodus from Egypt. But that's not the first time the concept is mentioned. Take note in Genesis 2. By the, by the seventh day, Yahuwah completed his work and the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And that was Genesis 2. two. Obviously, God had the Sabbath in mind from the very beginning. Abraham Joshua Heckel of a 21st century Jewish rabbi author wrote something I find profound about Genesis 2's passage. In his book, The Sabbath, its meaning for the modern man, reads the following expert slowly and pay attention. Closely mentioning in the portion I have highlighted, noted the word Manuah means rest in Hebrew. The word, on the seventh day, God finished his work, in Genesis 2-2 seems to be a puzzle. We would surely expect the Bible to tell us that on the sixth day God finished his work. Obviously, the ancient rabbis concluded that there was an act of creation on the seventh day. Just as heaven and earth were created in six days, Manuah was created on the Shabbat. After the sixth day of creation, what did the universe still lack? Manuah. Come the Sabbath, or the Shabbat, comes Manuah, which is the universe Universe was completed. Before we continue with Rabbi Heckler, the statement, take a moment to reread the highlighted portion of the quote. Take time. And then she goes on and waves. Heckler continues, Manuah, which we usually render with rest here, means much more than withdrawing from labors and exertion. For the freedom of toil, restraint and activity of any kind, Manua is Mahnua, is not a negative concept, but something real and intrinsic positive. Intrinsically positive. There must there must have been the view of ancient rabbis if they believed that it took a special act of creation to bring it into being, that the universe would be incomplete without it. What was created on the seventh day? Tranquility, serenity, peace, repose. All right. I'll, and she's doing something here. I also am intrigued by this. The purpose of God's Shabbat was not only to put up his proverbial feet, take off the load, and chill out after creation. Creating the universe is obvious days. Turns out he wasn't doing just nothing far from it. He was creating something. Rest. Rest was the capstone of creation, and without it, the universe would have been incomplete. Okay. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Let's see. We'll that one. We'll that one. Okay, the pre... Uh, Brad Lumlick respond, responds... Innovative, the leader, the catalyst of the movement of the American world. Margin is how we see the concept. It creates opportunity for business. Margin is one of your top priorities. Margin is a business creates pro profit. Margin is family created memories. Margin is our personal finances created generosity. Margin in our friendships creates significant and impact. Margin in our lives overhaul the options. Options to pursue dreams, think, pray, relax, meditate, grow, and ultimately live life to the fullest. Let's talk about margins here. 
perpetual motion, let me begin in this statement by clearly stating, I am not a scientist. In fact, while God was handing out the brain wires for math and science, I was standing in the wrong line. But I do remember what my high school chemistry class, that everything is made of atoms and substance and particles. At the atomic and subatomic, everything is creation. It's constant motion. The chair you sit in right now seems to be sitting still. Does it? But it's not. It's actually buzzing with activity. The protons and electrons that circle the nuclei in the atomic never stop moving. Never. We can't make them stop. Sounds so much like us, huh? Even when we're looking like we're resting, our mind is still buzzing. Or at the very least, our cell phones are a few of us doing very well turning others who are them off that is why god practiced and later he instituted of the shabbat is such a counterculture act in the midst of the universe there cannot exist for a second without constant motion god transcended the order of nature he stopped he rested he prescribed the same for you and me it is actually one of the ways that the image of God shows itself in our lives when we stop in constant moving world. Theologians use the word transcending to describe the infinite movement of mankind. It is the experience beyond the normal or physical level. Shabbat rest could be the ultimate transcendence. Okay. And we are going to look at this in more detail during the final week of our study. But now consider the implications of the fact that God himself practiced the Shabbat principle long before he even expected it for his people. This is God's way teaching by example and by precept. He shows us truth, then he teaches us the truth. So before he ever taught the principle over overtly he demonstrated it personally so remember the father demonstrates his love by teaching us things i will discuss with several friends why implementing the shabbat principle is so difficult for us we agree on one of the reasons we often find quietly of an embarrassment when we establish margins and boundaries in our lives and our families' lives we concern with others classifying us as lazy several mothers admitted their feelings that they needed to keep up with the schedules of their family's children they often feel snubbed by other parents if their children isn't involved in you know everything somehow our culture has caused us to believe that busier it is we become unknowing convinced that that, that taking time to create rest and tranquility means we are unfit, weak, or incompetent. We reject the art of saying no without guilt and regret. We fall prey to miss that if we don't have much or don't do as much as others, we were somehow not able or valuable, but wait, knowing that God Almighty maker of the heaven and earth values the shabbat or sabbath enough himself to practice it is a key to aspect of creation doesn't this seriously challenge the mindset 
that rest is only for wimps and weaklings. God certainly isn't a wimp, and he also never been lazy, embarrassed, ashamed, or feeble, or having margins. We can easily agree with all of this on paper, can't we? We can deep down inside that our lives are filled with brims and spill over, congested and smothered. It's the way it's supposed to be. Yet, despite this knowing and despite the foundation examples, God provides for us in a very first page of the Bible. We still tend to believe our way is better. We think we are the exception to the rule that we don't need Shabbat space, or perhaps we just don't think we can afford the margin. But when we dig a little deeper in our recession for keeping our lives full, busy, crammed with more than we ever succeeded, successfully man, uh, managed, be, maybe there is more to it than we would like to admit. A full, a full life brings us a sense of significance, security, and worth. We use busyness and overindulgence as means to excavate. We do not trust God to fulfill his promises to us, so we play God falsely, believing we need to provide, finish, do, control, and hoard. We place our hopes and joys in things that ultimately do not fulfill. We fear that we fear what others will think or say if we are kept paced with everyone else or don't seem to keep up with the Joneses. We do not know how to be still. We never learn. We don't know how to contend and be satisfied. We never learn. We don't like ourselves enough to be alone with ourselves for an extended period of time. Okay, so we're going to call it there for the day. And we will have another reading later. And this afternoon, we will complete that. And I'm going to say adieu. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel and pray for our nation. Love you guys. Bye.